Hello and welcome to the Sporty Scoop, a podcast made by Queen students for Queen students, talking all things sport on campus and in the wider sporting world. My name is Lauren McCann and on today's show I chat with Carrick fullback Ben Tulney about this season with Carrick and founding his own football club. I'm also joined with Tierney Kelly to talk about the Six Nations so far and as always I'll have a roundup of some Northern Irish sporting headlines which you may have missed. Okay, so I'm now delighted to be joined um, with Ben Tilney. Ben, you're very welcome on the show. And I just want to start by asking how you found this season so far at Carrick, you know, your first season at the club and having fans back in the Irish League. How great has that been? Yeah, no, th- thanks very much, Lauren, for having me on. Um, yeah, it's been it's been brilliant. Um, we obviously, Carrick, we started the season off really, really strong. And, um, you know, at the moment, we've, we've kind of maybe hit a bad kind of run of form at the moment and we've been struggling to pick up points. But, We've got a fantastic manager and fantastic players, so I'm sure there's no doubt we'll we'll turn it around and um, we'll finish off the season really strong. And it's been um, it's been obviously a massive bonus having fans back in. Um, we played played there for a while last season with with no fans, and it was it was a really strange atmosphere and feeling. And um, you know now having fans back, it almost seems like almost like proper football again. You get your home fans kind of get a bit more one percent out of you and um it's it's fantastic. Yeah, especially you know with Taylor's Avenue. I'm a massive Cliftonville fan and I hate going there because I know it's <laughs> it's a tough place to play and a tough atmosphere as well. I know, I know. Well it is and when uh when Taylor's Avenue is um is packed and there's um there's lots of fans there it's it's brilliant brilliant place to play football. Yeah and you know you mentioned there you have a great manager in, in Stuart King how's it been working under him this season and how big a role did he play in convincing you to join the club in the summer? Well actually I um before I, I had signed um for Carrick before Stuart was actually um in charge of the club and um you know the biggest kind of um selling point was you know I, I spoke with the chairman and um everything that the club um, was aiming to achieve and the club stands for and I've really got on board with and uh you know when then Stuart was announced it was it was a massive bonus it was fantastic it was uh someone that's played at an incredibly high standard himself and he's won everything there is in the Irish league and he's someone that's fantastic to learn off for my own personal game and as a team he understands what it's actually like being on the pitch and as a player so a fantastic manager and I'm really enjoying playing under him. Yeah, and how does he compare to Matthew Tipton, you know, someone you worked with closely last year and speaking of Portadown, you know, do you look back fondly on your short centre last season at Shamrock Park? Yeah, I, I loved playing at um, Portadown and it was it was perfect kind of at, at that time. I was um, I was playing for Larne and unfortunately maybe I wasn't getting enough minutes and I'd just come back from injury and I was kind of seeking game time, you know, and uh, Portadown was fantastic for taking me on loan for the second part of that season and um, I really enjoyed my football there. I was kind of had almost like a, a free role in midfield and um, Matthew Tipton was uh, a brilliant manager and uh, I, I loved playing under him. He was quite similar to um, Stuart King in a way. He kind of had been a fantastic player himself and um, you were able to kind of again just just learn off him and uh, I, love, I love getting that off a manager and someone that can really and put themselves in your shoes on the pitch is is fantastic. And so no, I I really I look back fondly on my time there, and I, I really did enjoy it. 
Yeah, and you mentioned you tended to play more in midfield than, you know, your kind of traditional left wing back ruler and that you kind of occupied at Lorna Carrick. You know, how was that transition for you playing in midfield as opposed to playing like left back or left wing back? It was uh, it was good. You know, it probably took me a while to kind of really get used to it. I was having to make different movements on the pitch and receive the ball a little bit differently. Um, but, you know, I, I feel like playing that position, it kind of enabled me to kind of use a lot of my strengths and I was able to kind of go forward with the ball more and not worry too much about maybe defensively the side of my game and I was able to be express myself on the ball and bring other players into play so I, I really enjoyed it and it was obviously it's a lot different to kind of um the the wing back role that I was used to I was kind of wing back yeah you're obviously asked to be defensively minded and attacking minded and it takes a lot of kind of off the ball kind of running and fitness and I think I brought that into midfield role and was able to kind of um, work all the way across the pitch and pick up the ball in different areas. So it was uh, it worked really well for me. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned, you know, playing for Lauren before. How difficult was it to move on from Lauren um, in the summer? You know, you had some great times at the club, particularly in that first season, you know, winning promotion and being nominated for Player of the Year. How fondly do you look back on your time at the club? No, I, I loved every loved every minute of playing for Lyon. you know it was it was fantastic I was able to um come from Milton Keynes I was able to carry on with my full-time football and um they they had massive aspirations as a club to reach the premiership which we did and uh reach Europe and it was fantastic to be a part of um that journey at that at the start and uh it was a little bit difficult and um, going towards kind of a quarter down and a carrick obviously because you kind of lose the the full-time aspect of going in every morning and training and things like that. But you know, I quickly adapted and um so far now I'm I'm loving playing my football. What I'm doing. Yeah, and you know, you look at Lauren now and some of the players you played with are the likes of David McDade and Marty Donnelly obviously had a big impact on where they are now. And you know, they were part of Thomas Cosgrove as well, part of the initial project. Was that what, what attracted you to come to Lauren and swap England for Northern Ireland? Definitely, I think you know it was something where, when when I looked at it, it wasn't I wasn't maybe one hundred percent sure, but you know when someone gives you like you had a fantastic owner in Kenny and the chairman and Gareth Clements and the manager team and they they sold the club in a, such a fantastic way and I think that when I joined there was lots of kind of um, goals that they wanted to achieve and stuff and it was one of these situations where it was you know this is, sounds fantastic and it was a case of maybe you know is that going to happen but it did and it was fantastic and everything that they told me was going to happen happened and then some really you know so um it was fantastic to be a part of that um, and again continue on that full-time football that I was doing in England. Yeah and did you think the full-time football kind of helped um you know whenever the club stepped up from the championship to the Irish league obviously it's a big gulf but did you think you know as you said that full-time model really helped you adapt to the league and obviously you know you see your league position the first year you came up but obviously showed that you had the quality as well as the full-time football probably helping. Yeah 100% you know I think playing full-time training and playing every day allows you to to train more and to work together as a team and to work on things that and maybe part-time teams don't have the luxury of working on, maybe you get more time on, it could be anything, your set pieces or your gym sessions and, you know, all these little things give you an extra one or two percent in your game. And sometimes that's the difference of where you finish up in the league. So, um, and I think now you're finding that 
it's really starting to make a difference. And you're seeing a lot of other teams since Lan changed the full time, they're also changing. And I think that they're noticing the benefits. And uh, so it's fantastic for the league. Yeah, and you know, you started your career in England coming through the academy at MK Dons. How was that experience for you? And obviously it was made even sweeter by the fact you scored in your debut for the club. It was brilliant, you know. My time at Milton Keynes, it was the only club I knew. I was I joined when I was six years old and I worked my way through every single age group through the academy and had done my scholarship there and then signed my professional contract. And it was, it was just incredibly proud to play for the club, you know, because I'd been there for so long. I'd become a supporter and I'd, it'd become something where it was part, really part of my life. And to then go and play professionally for that team, it was fantastic. And obviously, like you said, on my on my debut scoring, it was as it's an unbelievable feeling because you work so hard to get to that moment and to top it off with a goal is um, it's brilliant. Yeah, and you know how does the Irish League kind of compare to your spell in England with MK Dons? And then obviously, you know, you played some non-league when you're over there as well. What is the standard like in comparison? And I'm sure it's probably a lot more physical in the Irish League. <laughs> well, I mean, it's the the differences I find when I when we first uh, when I first came over and I was I was playing for Larm. I think it was more kind of you know um, it was you versus another player on the pitch and. It was kind of if one team's better than the other team that day, they win the game. And in England, there was a lot more kind of, I found that maybe more in-depth kind of tactical like analysis around lots of teams. And you know, look in England, every single team in that League One side that was playing in was full-time, obviously. And they all had the same resources to kind of tactically break down teams and technically work on things day in, day out. And it became more of, like a game of chess kind of over there and um, you had to be a lot more switched on in that kind of regard and when I came to uh, Northern Ireland it was slightly different and I think that you know I look at the Irish League now and there's it's really really turning into what it was like in England you know teams are doing lots of in-depth analysis on other teams and and that's helping them win matches and you know, I think a lot of the top teams in Northern Ireland are, are finding that now and um, it just shows with the kind of standard of football that you see in, in the Irish League week in, week out. Yeah, and, you know, as you've mentioned there, it seems like the standards just got better and better, even probably in the short time you've been in the league with teams going full-time and even the likes of Coleraine and Cliftonville being able to challenge. It seems like it's a really, really competitive league this year, even down, you know, in the bottom half of the table, the fight to stay up is getting harder every year. Yes, definitely. Look at the, the top six teams and um, some of the players and the that they have and the ability and the squads in general with their kind of patterns of play and their passing and their movement, it's um, it's fantastic to see and it's really it's, it's good to play in and uh, I'm 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 loving it and you know even the, the bottom six is the team's playing fantastic styles of football and it's just showing now that it's how competitive like you said it's it's becoming and um, it's a, it's a really I think exciting league to watch and to to play in also. Yeah, and you know, off the pitch, you've recently entered into a new venture, establishing your own football club, Futuro Falcons. Can you take, talk us through the process, you know, of finding your own football club? How difficult was that? Yeah, very difficult. <laughs> <laughs> it was, um, I, uh, it's, it's <laughs> sounds, uh, it's, you know, now we're kind of at a stage where we're really proud to say that we got accepted into our league and we're kind of really now 
able to kickstart our journey and the bit beforehand it's uh it's really tough and it's lots of hard work and it's now to kind of be where we are as a football club and have our ladies senior team entered into a league it's we all everyone involved feels so proud of that because it takes lots and lots of hard works and I uh I think that going into it it, I was maybe a little bit naive into some of the things that I had to do and what it took to kind of actually get a football club going and um it's been fantastic learning for me and I kind of now have much more respect for anyone that ever creates their own football club or is currently running their own football club because um we're only doing it on a small scale at the moment and it still can be stressful and there's still lots of hard work behind the scenes that goes on. So, um, but no, it's something where it's football. So I love it. And even the stuff that can be hard work, it's it's not to me, it's, it's just exciting. And I just, uh, I love everything about it. Yeah. And where did the name come from and just kind of the idea in general, you know, that you wanted to own your own football club? Well, I think something that, you know, me... Uh, Matty and Nathan, who also in the football club, we, I think it was something that we, being footballers ourselves, we we always wanted to do, and you know, the the name of the club kind of represents us in a way where we're called the Futuro Falcons. I mean, we want to be the future of football, and I think kind of putting that own spin on us kind of singles us out from the rest. And I think that as the years progress people will look in at us now and they will notice maybe things that we're doing differently that are having huge benefits to younger kids and older senior players as well. So we wanted to kind of identify ourselves as someone that's like completely different and doing things differently, but to be the future and to then have a real benefit and impact to players of all ages and abilities and genders across the whole board, developing and reaching senior levels. So it's it's going to be really exciting and the plans that we've got in place are fantastic and that we will 100% meet those goals and it's going to be really exciting to see how the club is next year and the year after to see how much has changed and how much we've kicked on. Yeah, and do you think your experience and those as well involved in you at different football clubs, you've kind of been able to learn, you know, how a club works well and what you wanted to bring into your own club? 100%. I think any kind of coach or good manager in a way I think kind of steals things from other people and you know I've been around some the Milton Keynes Academy and the Milton Keynes first team was absolutely fantastic and the same with Lan and Portadown and Carrick so it's like you said it's fantastic to be able to kind of bring the best bits from everything that I've learned and experienced to kind of go into your own football club and 100% definitely I'm using um, ideas and uh, strategies that other clubs have used and to bring it to us and it's at the moment we're it's going in the right direction and we're seeing those benefits so we can continue that on. And how have you found your first pre-season with the senior ladies side at the club and how excited are you for the upcoming NIWFA season which you know is just around the corner at this stage? Yeah I know it's been it's been fantastic you know it's been really interesting for me because obviously my whole career I've been a player and you know something like this actually probably came up sooner than I was expecting in my career and so it's been so enjoyable to juggle my own personal football and to manage the and run the the ladies side in the whole club it's been um it's been 
completely different experience because usually I'm on the pitch and doing the sessions myself and don't have to worry about anything else. And now I'm kind of, you know, having to build a team and a structure and a culture that is hopefully going to go and win that league. And it's pre-season's going really well. And we've got a fantastic group of ladies in our senior squad and they've all bought into our culture of what we're wanting to achieve um, on the pitch and off the pitch. And I think that's showing with how good the group is together. Um, and they've given absolute everything they have so far into pre-season. And we've had a couple of pre-season matches and we've got a few more planned to make sure that we're exactly where we need to be for when the season starts. And um, so we're really, really looking forward to it. Yeah, and how much inspiration and did you and maybe some of the guards who've joined the club take from the incredible journey of Northern Ireland women? And um, they're now playing in this summer's Euros for the first time. You know, was that a big thinking and establishing a senior ladies team, given you know the uptake in women in Northern Ireland wanting to play football after, on the back of such an incredible achievement? I think from a um, putting myself in like a player situation, I think that that probably makes the biggest difference to them. You know, I think for us. Um, we look at that and it's kind of for taking the players week in, week out, they now can look to that and be like, this is fantastic. And they take real inspiration from that. And it almost then, it gives us a bit as coaches and owners a bit of a buzz to kind of work even harder and try even harder. And, you know, it's what they've, they've done as a group is, and for the, for the country is absolutely fantastic for, for young girls starting their football career to even senior girls playing right now. I think it's it's been fantastic and it's really opened up people's eyes to how talented the groups are within Northern Ireland in, in ladies and girls football. And, you know, for us now to be able to put our stamp on that and to kind of look to them as like role models is, is fantastic. And I think it's benefiting us massively. And I think that what they're doing is not only benefiting us, it's helping girls from that just start into senior ladies that are playing across all clubs and all divisions. So it's absolutely fantastic and and it's um it's brilliant to see. Yeah, and the club have recently announced that you're expanding and gonna have the boys and girls academy teams. You know, how exciting a development is this for you know not only pushing on with the senior ladies team, but having that system down below to be able to have players working their way up. 100 percent it's it's massive for us. I mean we we have an idea of where how we want to have a senior ladies team and what type of players we like individually and uh, how we want the whole culture as a club to be and I think what the senior ladies team have done for us is they've bought into it so well and we've got such a fantastic group that they've set a standard now of what it is to play for us across boys and girls teams and now starting off a the youngest groups in our academy we're able to kind of put that mark on the two younger age groups and every year just kind of add to it and build and they've all kind of then grown up from their first time kicking a football and in a team environment to keeping that same culture throughout the football club. And, you know, it's going to be fantastic for them on the pitch. And we really want to help and make them grow as players and off the pitch too and help them um, achieve good things and um, believe in themselves as young kids and young adults as they grow up and you know, like I said, that senior ladies team setting that example and setting that standard has been vital for us to achieve something like this. And, you know, we're we're really, really excited. And we've got some fantastic young coaches that are eager to drive these teams on and to help them improve. Yeah. And, you know, as 
coaching the career like you're you're thinking of pursuing after your football career obviously you know it's a huge part of your life at the moment but is that something you know you're looking at beyond um playing football when you retire that you're gonna stay in football in the coaching aspect yeah 100 i think you know i it's taken a lot of kind of doing this so early in my career i wasn't sure about the start and i think now it's kind of it's really given me kind of a buzz and you know i love playing on the pitch and I don't want that to stop and to ever end but at one point it's it's going to and I think that having now been able to kind of do this management role in like a smaller scale is able enabling me to kind of learn from my mistakes and to kind of so when I grow as a coach and that time comes I'll feel comfortable and confident hopefully achieving a management role in the future or at the highest level coaching as possible and that's something that, you know, I, I really, really strive to achieve now. Yeah, well, Ben, it's been great talking to you and best of luck for the end of the season with Carrick and the upcoming season with Futuro Falcons. It'll hopefully be in promotion. Perfect. Thank you very much. Okay, three, two, one. So I'm now delighted to be joined with Tierna Kelly to discuss the Six Nations so far. And we're going to start with Ireland, who fell to a 30-24 defeat to France at the weekend. How did you assess the game overall? Uh, well, I felt as defeated as Ireland probably <laughs> felt, to be honest, Lauren. Um, it was definitely not the Irish performance I was hoping for. I think I bigged Ireland up a, a lot this Six Nations. Um definitely compared to last year's tournament and I thought Ireland really had a chance of winning this year and um and I knew that France was going to be our biggest game and I thought you know we started off so well against Wales and then I was expecting big things against France and I knew it was always going to be tough France have came on a huge way in the last um, year or two they're a really impressive side um and we were also in Paris which wasn't um you know you know, France had the home advantage, which, you know, I definitely think was one of the reasons which pushed them over as well and um, why, why they played so well. Um, but I think Ireland were just slow out of the block, really. And um, we didn't um, start well. Um, and then when we started to get back into it, um, we just kept making stupid mistakes and conceding penalties, which was really hard to watch you know it wasn't a game you know Ireland scored more tries than France <laughs> like you know we did better that way of things you know even possession I think we were slightly ahead um but it was it came down to um our penalties and how many we gave away which was which was kind of poor to be honest <laughs> um and hard to watch um so yeah, I'm a bit I'm a bit defeated, but I still have hope that Ireland can maybe win. And and I think we do have to give some credit to the French side because they have really come out of nowhere in the last um two years or so. And they've definitely deserved to win some tournaments before. Um and they've just been unlucky. Um and so I think they're a really impressive side. And I really hope they don't win this year, but if they do, fair play to them. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, you know, you talk there about just Ireland and their mistakes really costing them. But, you know, as you mentioned, France played so well, particularly in the first half. They outplayed Ireland and, you know, they were winning by 15 points at one stage. But 
the spirit of performance in the second half from Ireland, their comeback near the end, although they ultimately fell short, kind of give you a bit of hope and it was a bit more pleasing considering, you know, how well you expect Ireland to play given their recent upturn in form. Yeah, like that, like half time, um, it was like France were like 19 and Ireland had like a try, I think. And I was feeling like really defeated at halftime. I was like, there's like, there's going to have to be a big shift put in for the comeback. And then within like 10 minutes, within halftime in the second half, we scored two tries and we were within a point um, with France. And it was exciting again. And we thought there was something in it. And, you know, there was hope again. And it, it seemed to be that the whole game, though, you know, France slightly edged ahead and then Ireland came back very close. And, it was like that right to the end. I mean, right to the end, there was three points in it until something like the 78th or 79th minute, something ridiculous where France got that final penalty that just, um, made, you know, helped them clinch the victory. Um, and and that was that was a little bit upsetting. But I mean, I do think Ireland played better in the second half. Um, but how we played in the second half was probably how we should have started in the first half. Um, which which was definitely what it came down to. And um, I think, yeah, France were impressive, but Ireland did put up more of a fight in the second half, I think. Um, but it, it, as you said, it, it still fell short and it just wasn't quite good enough. And it came down to penalties again. And um, it was just really unfortunate. We were so close. But, you know, it has to be said for France, like they... They played so well and they made it so hard to play against. Um, they really, they just, they were just so hard to get past the points. And um, there was times where I know some people were questioning the refereeing skills, but um, <laughs> I think that's just the the loser's argument to blame the ref. So um, yeah, I think it was just just Ireland played well. They give me hope at times, but France were just better, um, and that's what it came down to. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, Ireland haven't beaten France since 2019 and they've lost the last three meetings with them. You know, are France now kind of the benchmark of where Ireland want to be in terms of European rugby? Yeah, I mean, that's crazy. I didn't know that statistic um, because, like, I remember, I think I was talking to you about the, the New Zealand game before Christmas and normally New Zealand is, like, the benchmark for just world rugby. Um, and... You know, we went out and we we beat the All Blacks and we did fairly well against them. We played put on a really impressive performance, and so I can't believe we haven't beat France in three meetings now. That's crazy. Um, and I think yeah, France are definitely putting up a, a good benchmark for European rugby, and um, they're definitely a side to watch. Um, and I think the next three games in their Six Nations tournament are going to be really um impressive. Um, well, I hope so anyway. Um, I don't know whether this was just a fluke. It would be nice if it was that they just won. Um, because I did think when they played Italy in the first week, they they were a bit slow off the mark. They didn't um, play as impressively from the get-go as I thought they would. Um, I mean, I mean, I think at least got a, a try first, um, which is not what you expect <laughs> against Italy. Um, so I think it just took France a minute or two to get into the tournament. And then... Once they had sort of that game with Italy, they turned around and won, and then they just came. And they knew that Ireland was going to be a good game, and I think, and I think, it, you know, France just had the attitude and the mindset, and they knew what was going to happen. And I think that's definitely what's going to um, 
definitely push France if they can keep that mindset um they're gonna be a really impressive side for the rest of this tournament and for the rest of you know this year if they can because they are really impressive European side and um I've always said that I mean they also beat the All Blacks before Christmas um and by a much more impressive scoreline than Ireland I'm pretty sure as well so um I think yes I'm gonna say yes they are a European benchmark in rugby but I'm also like I want Ireland to be up there too so I think even though we haven't beat them in three meetings I think it's very possible we can you know I do them at some point soon if we just if everything went right on the day you know <laughs> like um you know if we did we did have sex tonight which was you know sometimes it is a big big hit when you're missing your captain so um yeah I think France are definitely a side to watch in the future yeah, and was the defeat against France, even though it was an R1, even more disappointing given how dominant Ireland were in the opening day? I know Wales had a lot of injuries, but, you know, they beat the defending champions 29-7 that probably really give the hope that this could be Ireland's year to reclaim the Grand Slam. Oh, I really, really thought that. Um, we played so well against Wales, but also Wales played so poor. So it was a mix of both. Um, but I really thought there was something about Ireland when they started off the tournament against Wales um and I thought you know they really went in with a good mindset and we knew what we had to do and it was um it was just unfortunate yeah when we pulled up short against France because I mean if you had have told me three weeks ago like I was putting bets in Ireland to win this tournament and now I'm already feeling a little bit like oh not sure not sure it's gonna be hard but um yeah, it's a bit it's a bit disappointing. Especially second game in, like it's crazy. So um <clears throat> sorry, but like this is definitely that was definitely the game I think that could have designed the tournament and we'll figure that out in the next three matches, I guess. Yeah, and what players have <coughs> impressed you from Ireland and then maybe just even more generally so far in the tournament? I know we're only two games in, but mm. given the amount of scores Ireland have had. <clears throat> yeah, good question. Um I think <laughs> I used to be an absolute fan of Conor Murray. Um yeah. but he he <laughs> um he has now sort of lost his position to Gibson Park. And um I think I was initially quite hesitant of Gibson Park because I I, I thought Conor Murray was really impressive. Um <clears throat> but Gibson Park has really done really, really well in the last this tournament, last tournament, um definitely really um he's definitely a really number nine that you know we've got to watch and I think he's he's got something really cool about um him that we've got to like keep in Ireland and I'm really excited about that um there's also um Hansen he he started his debut um against Wales and he won like player of match like um which is great and he also scored the first try for Ireland which was also a fantastic try I think it won try of the of round two or something um which you know he's definitely uh, someone to watch um and then I, I'm trying to think like there's there's so many new players in Ireland because there's just been such a new squad and there's been some players that have been left out too like um you know like James Lowe who we were talking about before Christmas who was playing incredible against the All Blacks is now not um starting for Ireland at the minute and it's kind of interesting to see how Farrell is just using a big mix of players and still trying to 
produce good performances and um sometimes it's frustrating because we're not getting the wins that we need but um it is it is nice to see like new players coming up and filters through and I think one we need to keep an eye on is the Irish kicker because that's one of the most important positions on the field and um unfortunately Sexton wasn't there at the weekend and Joey Carberry has stepped in and um I've definitely complained a lot about Irish kicking before um I know that um but it's nice to see Joey Carberry come back um it's nice to see him get a run out and I think um as much as I'm not sure he's as good as Sexton yet I think he's got a lot of potential yet and I think it's good to see him get the the pitch time and it's good to see him get the kicks and um I think he is one to watch because I think we need to keep an eye on who the next Irish kicker is and I think Joey Carberry's got a lot of potential in that field so far so um yeah I think they're the, my top players at the minute to keep an eye on. Yeah, and you know that defeat was quite damaging in terms of Ireland's hopes of lifting the Six Nations. Obviously, at Lee next, which is a great game to bounce back against. But how do you kind of now reassess their hopes of succeeding? <laughs> well, I have thought of many theories of how Ireland can still win the Six Nations. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the main the main point for Ireland is we need to win all of our games, and we need to win them with bonus points as well. You know, we need to go out and get the four tries against each team. I mean, Italy, as you said, should be a no-brainer. I mean, I shouldn't say it like that because it's, you know, we should still go with the mindset of this is going to be a tough team, we need to win, but um, we need to get the four tries there. Um, England and Scotland are still going to be tough games, um, you know, and to get the four tries is going to be hard, I think. But um, that's that's the mindset and that's the mentality we have to go with. We need to get these bonus points. Um and then we just have to hope that France either slip up or we just have to hope that France also just don't get bonus points. Um, and I was, you know, one thing that was good about, you know, the good about a defeat, I don't know if that makes sense, but good about the defeat at the weekend was we still got the defensive bonus point. So we still got a point from losing, um, which is good because we have something um, to still have hope on. Um so I think I worked it out that if if France still win all their games but don't get bonus points and Ireland win all their games with bonus points, it'll come to 21 all. And then that means it comes down to like points scored, which which makes it more exciting, but makes it more tense. So, you know, next week against Italy, Ireland just need to score as many points as they can. And that's simply how it's put. You know, we just we have to put this game to the side and just go out as if it not, didn't happen and put out our best performances yet um in the next three games and that's the simplest way to put it and um I think I think it is possible I think we can do it but um it's going to be hard nonetheless I think there's going to be some games where I'm going to be really praying really hard um so um as there's still hope but it's going to be tough is what I'm saying so and um France I'm definitely going to be keeping tabs on all the France games because um they're definitely so they're so good, but I'm hoping someone can trip them up at some point because um, that would really be in our favour. <laughs> yeah, as you mentioned teams tripping them up, they play Scotland next, which is obviously going to be a really intriguing encounter. And as well, you have England playing Wales. You know, Scotland maybe shockingly fell the defeat against Wales um, after beating England mm-hmm. in the opener. You know, it's just such an exciting tournament that is one you look at and you're thinking, you know, apart, maybe aside from Italy, um, all these teams <laughs> can beat each other. 
Um, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, like, you know, I've been talking about France and Ireland here at the minute, but also Wales-Scotland was also a very good game of the weekend. Um, you know, Wales, considering they played so poor against us in the first week, um, I, I had no hope for Wales, to be honest. I didn't think they were going to win any games this tournament, except Italy. Um, and Scotland, first tournament, you know, they, they won the Calcutta Cup against England. They they came out with a very impressive um, win there, which is which was incredible for them. And I think a lot of people have really rated Scotland before this tournament. You know, there was even some people saying, like, they think Scotland could go all the way and win the tournament, which is crazy to think. Like, Scotland is not that side that um, you, you wouldn't have thought that years ago. Um, and so Wales versus Scotland was... A very, very good tournament or a very good match the weekend, um, where Scotland probably should have won um <clears throat> from their ratings and how well they played the week before. But um <clears throat> sorry. <laughs> um but yeah, it came down to that drop goal. <clears throat> I'm so sorry. <clears throat> um it came down to that drop goal in the final 10 minutes, and I thought. Wales were being stupid. I thought they should have gone for a try there. Um, but <clears throat> they ultimately hung on and they served Scotland back a 2017 win, which Scotland <laughs> edged over England before. Um, so I think Scotland is going to be a tough game. Very tough game. It's going to be the last game of the tournament, actually. Um, so I think, you know, we've got to watch for that. But I'm really hoping because because, as you say, it's so exciting. You don't know who's going to win against who. That, you know, if Scotland or Wales go out with the right mindset against France, you know, you actually don't know who's going to win. Like, um, <clears throat> and that makes it kind of interesting, you know. You don't actually know what's going on. So I'm, I'm also excited to see how England might play as well at the weekend because, you know, obviously they won against... Or, sorry, they, they won against Italy, but they lost against Scotland. And so... They haven't really got like a a significant win yet. I I feel like I'm really just sliding <laughs> off Italy, but um, so it'll be interesting to see how England points back as well. You know, they might even have the potential to be France. And so, um, yeah, as you said, it's just a crazy tournament of you actually don't know. It depends on the day and who turns up and what mindset they turn up with. So um <clears throat> so yeah it's it's just it's it's going to be an interesting tournament I think and I think Wales and Scotland are definitely I would have said Wales were not ones to watch before this before the um the weekend because I thought they played so pathetic against us um but I definitely think we have to keep an eye on them now and um Scotland as well Scotland are a brilliant side at the minute um and so um it's going to be an interesting three weeks is what I'm going to say. And as much as I want Ireland to win, who knows what will happen? <laughs> who knows? So, yeah, I think yeah. that's the best thing to say. Yeah. And just finally, um, a word on, you know, fans being back. I know you were a huge advocate of having full stadiums. How great is it to see the Six Nations with full fans at the Aviva and then, you know, elsewhere and all the grounds? Oh, isn't it so good? Like, <laughs> it's, it's so good. I think just... Just the roars and the shouts and just even like reactions to like TMOs and um, you know having that 
I think it's so much better for the players as well, you know, having fans there on your side, shouting for you, supporting you. And um, I think that's definitely been, you know, you know, as I said, like it, it, it's going to make a difference now if you have the home advantage because you're not just playing on your own turf, you're playing with your own fans. And um, I think that really excites me for, um, like Davies is an incredible stadium as well. It's so good to get an atmosphere in. Um, you know, you basically feel like you're pitch side at points. Um, and so it's, I think it's really important. It's so good. And it, it just feels nice to have, you know, the TV on and, and other people are cheering because um, before you were just shouting on your own, really. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's really good to see finally a return um, to sort of proper rugby, you know, with fans there as well. So I think it's really important for the game. Yeah, well, Tierna, it's been great to chat to you and hopefully next time I'm talking to you, Ireland have won the Six Nations. Please, <laughs> please. <laughs> we start with football and Northern Ireland women have had a productive training camp in Marbella with a win, a draw and a loss in their three friendly games in Spain. Kenny Shieldside defeated the Faroe Islands 3-1 courtesy of goals from Sam Kelly, Sarah McFadden and Chloe McCarn in their opening game. They followed up that victory with a hard-fought 2-2 draw against Switzerland, who are ranked 17th in the world, with Everton striker Simone McGill netting both goals. The Green and White Army rounded off their 10-day camp in Spain with a narrow 1-0 loss against Romania on Wednesday, and their domestic-based players now return to the full-time camp in Belfast to prepare for April's Crunch World Cup qualifying games against Austria and England. Sticking with football and the Northern Ireland Football League has informed clubs that progression has been made in the quest to secure sub-regional stadia funding from the government. The estimated £36 million funding plan from the executive to help redevelop stadiums across Northern Ireland looked to have been further delayed with the collapse of the government last week. However, the league issued a statement after a productive meeting with the Minister of the Department for Communities, which could help reignite the project, which the executive committed to in 2015. Finally to golf, an Irishman Shane Lowry has missed out on his first win since the 2019 Open Championship as he finished one stroke behind Sepp Straka at the Honda Classic in Florida. The 34-year-old needed to birdie the par 5-18th to force a playoff, but he failed to make the putt, allowing Straka to become the first Australian to win on the PGA Tour. The second place finish did see Lowry climb up 15 spots to 35 in the world rankings, and he now has five consecutive top 25 finishes worldwide. That's all we have time for in this week's show. Thanks to Mark McKibben for putting it together and to you for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye bye.